Welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've seen Jungle Cruise. Yes. <laughs> so, years after Disney first uh, adapted one of its theme park rides to the cinema with Pirates of the Caribbean, it's now gone back to one of its very first rides that opened when the first Disneyland opened in Anaheim in 1955, the Jungle River Cruise. Mm. And it's this classic ride where you float down the river looking at... Make believe animals, well, not make believe, but fake mm-hmm. animals and savages uh, and indigenous peoples and Trader Sam, which is the famous, very racist old caricature of the cannibal who sells you shrunken heads. And the leader of the cruise makes loads of dad jokes, loads of puns, and it's a very famous old ride which has also come under a lot of scrutiny historically for racism. Yes. Um, and in fact, this year. This year it was updated, and they changed Trader Sam in particular. I think we removed Trader Sam. Mm. Um, Trader Sam appears in this film, and we'll talk about it. But for one thing, it's kind of surprising that they managed to turn it into a story. Yes. I mean, I hate Disney, you know. Um, I think you get a kind of a groupthink about, you know, certain things that almost make criticism impossible. (laughs) Um, You know, but I hated all of the Pirates of the Caribbean films. I mean, I saw them all. They had moments of pleasure or laughs or, you know, a bit of action that was okay. And I've completely forgotten all about them. You know, they they are just corporate trash, really. And I think this is kind of like that. Yeah, so I I kind of liked it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I loved the chemistry between Emily Blunt and The Rock. But then you're also thinking, "Mm, like... What's the point? And obviously the point is to sell a ride. <laughs> well, it's to, it's to sell a ride and to sell yeah. Disney, but it's also just generally kids' entertainment. I mean, it's, in some respects, it's no different to something like Indiana Jones or Jumanji. It's popcorn fodder. Yeah, um, I suppose so. Uh, and certainly, you know, Indiana Jones also had a lot of problems with it. But its main focus was to entertain the audience, mm. not to sell a ride. And actually, I think the slight shift in emphasis, because you can argue that in order to sell the ride, you have to please the audience. But it's not quite the same thing. And I think the slight shift in emphasis makes a difference. So, you know, I did think that I would have liked a whole movie on the character that Emily Blunt plays in the first 10 minutes of the film. Almost, you know, before she gets to the jungle and meets the rock. Mm. Yeah, because I thought that was kind of exhilarating, you know, to have like an Edwardian late Victorian, you know, woman picking locks and, you know, stealing things. I mean, there was a real action adventure, you know, daring do. Infiltrating the establishment. Yeah, I thought that was that was wonderful. Right. Mm. And the film kind of loses all of that in some stupid Spanish pirates or, you know, (laughs) conquistadors and blah. Right. Like, which actually... In spite of it being directed by, I, I don't know... Jean, Jean Colet Serra. I thought it had all kinds of racist elements. Yeah, so the film is woke about so many things, right? Like, you know, the gender aspect of, you know, feminist aspect, yeah, women's rights aspect. It kind of, you know, highlights all of those things at the end. And yet there's kind of like, I think, a fundamental racism about the whole thing. Yeah? Yeah. Well, let's quickly say what it's about, actually, what the story that they've planted onto the ride is. So, uh, Frank, played by The Rock, 
uh, runs his jungle cruise up and down the Amazon. He takes these tourists up and down, and he says, oh, there's savages over there, oh, there's animals over there, oh, there's a hippo. And and as he realises the tour goes on, everything is fake. He set all this up, right? Mm. So it's really, a, it's really a play on the actual Jungle Cruise, mm. which I think is interesting. And the Emily Blunt side, Emily Blunt and Jack Whitehall are sister and brother. And uh, Emily Blunt in particular is searching for the Tree of Life and this thing, the, uh, the Tears of something... I can't remember. Can't remember. <laughs> tears of rain, maybe. Tears, tears of, of the, the river. The tears moon. of the moon. Yeah. Is it the tears of the moon, um, which are sort of housed in the tree of life? And they're saying about a petal. It's it's all a bit general, um, but basically she wants to go there because this thing has magical powers, and she hopes we're in the middle of the Great War, so it's 1916. Mm. She hopes that this can be used to revolutionise medicine to save lives. Uh, you also have a big bad villain who is a German, played by Jesse Plemons, who uh, seeks the Tears of the Moon for his own purposes so he can take over the world. They also seem to confer uh, invincibility, immortality, this kind of thing. So he has his own nefarious purposes for, for taking them. Uh, Emily Blunt uh, and Jack Whitehall enlist uh, the Rock's help and the sort of chase is on, as it were, to get to these things and the adventure down the Amazon takes place. Um, it, it's really, int- I think it's interesting how it how it uses the ride and kind of reconfigures it because it could actually really make no mention of it at all. You know, I really think I think in parts of the Caribbean, the only real concrete reference to the ride was there's a joke about some prisoners uh, reaching through the bars because this dog has got the key and the dog won't give it to them. And I think that's a joke taken from the ride, but that's like the only concrete reference. The rest is just a pirate story. And this actually has some real, as I said with Trader Sam, for instance, some real concrete references to the ride. But this idea that that the Rock is the ride operator, making all those corny jokes, he's setting up all this fakeness, is interesting because particularly with the savages thing, he had you know there are these I keep using the word savages, but it's like uh, because that's the way the film uh, constructs them initially. You know they've got they're stood there with spears, they've got kind of war paint on, but then it's revealed with a look from him to them that they're in on it together. This is a money making thing, and as the story develops when he's trying to keep Emily Blunt and Jack Whitehall away from the Tears of the Moon, he takes them to Trader Sam as, like, really kind of a last resort, like he's hoping to scare them off. Because, again, it's revealed that these aren't the quote-unquote real savages. They are also in on it with him playing a part. Mm. So I think it's quite deliberately using the idea that this is not real, that these are not real savages. There's no such thing as real savages. Actually, there are real people beneath it that the, that the ride never showed any respect to, that he similarly is doing. He similarly is playing on expectations of the the, the foreigners, the outsiders who come there to visit. Okay. Look, I mean, you know, I don't want to discuss the ride too much because in a way, you know, I don't give a shit about the ride. I mean, you know, I'm not going to Disneyland. I hate the fuckers. You know, I, I had a terrible experience there where it really <laughs> felt like you were in Nazi land, not Disneyland, you know. You were parking in, like, the Mickey Mouse lot or you know, whatever, they all had the name after those stupid characters. And then once you went in, you were entirely policed, really, Mm. you know, and I just hated the whole thing. Uh, But be that as it may, I mean, you know, we went to see a movie. We didn't go see an advertisement for The Bride. So in a way, The Bride is interesting to me only as a way of understanding the film better. Well, that's what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about the, the... Because The Ride has this... 
uh, historical racism associated with it, with the way that its its uh, indigenous people, indigenous characters are constructed. They're cannibals and so on. Mm. The film is trying to use that and address that, and actually almost poke fun at it, maybe, but to, or to deconstruct it by saying, actually, within the film, the construction of these characters as savages and cannibals is fake. That's not who they really are. Well, up to a point, right? So, you know, because you're told that they're in on the deal with The Rock. Mm-hmm. But it still feels, like, really bizarre. I mean, they still are cannibals, right? And they're still being sold as cannibals. And are they, though? I mean, every time... I think there are a couple of times that they've mentioned as cannibals, which is in the initial ride with just the group that you don't get to know and then later on when you meet Trader Sam and both times it says it's revealed this isn't who these people are they are playing parts well yes they are playing parts um, but the parts are still those of you know cannibals and so on right right but the point um, is that then the, the film reveals that that is fake that it's a play on your expectations it, to make you scared of them well hurrah you know big deal because it still never shows you who they are other, other than that Right. No, not it's too a, much. Well, um, almost nothing at all. No, almost nothing at you all. Know. So what I'm, what I'm just trying to say is that in spite of the film trying to undercut and say we are not like that, mm. it still isn't showing you anything other than that. No, that's pretty much true. I'd agree with that. Uh, Although I do like with Trader <laughs> Sam, actually, with the character. So Trader Sam is turned into a woman in this. In the ride, it was always a bloke. Um, and I like that she... Uh, has no regard for anyone's safety but herself. When when she's in the boat with Jack Whitehall trying to escape and they are captured essentially by the submarine, the mm. U-boat, she just buggers off, <laughs> you know. Yes. I <laughs> Every man for himself or every woman for herself. I mean, for me, what I found is that all of the lead characters, Jack Whitehall, Plemons, even Giamatti, mm. and especially The Rock and Emily Blunt, they're all wonderful you know, and, and they're all, they all get their laughs and they're kind of warm and they're really enjoying themselves and they're a pleasure to see. So all of that aspect I enjoyed very, very much. But then you begin to kind of deconstruct and say, you know, why did it start in England? Like, could it just, I mean, was there not a scientific, you know, uh, a society in New York or something? Yeah, if it's an American film, say. Mm. Like, you know, so you realize that it's playing on you know, I suppose things like Around the World in 80 Days or that, that type of yeah. imperial Britishness, you know. Uh, it's definitely playing with imperialism because it's also got the story of the conquistadors 400 years earlier. Exactly, right. Thing. I suppose the film, like you say, it tries to move away from certain things. But, you know, like the Plemons character is really a Nazi before the facts. Mm. Right? Like, you know... Uh, the conquistadors are always like, you know, the evil, superstitious Spaniards. Though, of course, you know, this shifts it a little by making the rock one of them, you know, but not like them, right? So I think there's, I think there's all these attempts at kind of greasing things through, mm. um, but, you know, they don't quite work for me. What about Whitehall's character? Who's revealed to be gay, although he never says the word, but it's very, it's made very clear. And well, it's, not, well, it's made very clear. I yeah. mean, yeah. He says, uh, I think it, the word I don't share their love or something like that. Uh, he talks about I would have been ostracized from society. I couldn't agree to these marriages. I think he says something like my me. interests or expectations lay elsewhere. That's right. Like that. But I, I liked him. I liked him a lot. You know, and I kind of um, he's necessary, right? Because he's the the raison d'être for Emily Blunt being the way she is. Mm-hmm. Yes, 
Uh, she's always rescuing him, defending him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's also the necessary opposite to the rock figure. Right? So, you know, I think he's an essential character in the film. Um, and I think Whitehall was very appealing, you know, and he was mostly very good. He, he got most of his laughs. Um, so uh, I really expected not to like him. I don't very really like him very much. He's all mm. right, but I'm just not a huge fan. Um, and then when I found out he was in this, I thought, oh, do we really have to? And then I was really surprised that he was not, he was way more than tolerable. He was very, very likable, and one of my favourite things in the film. Yes. Um, and he played his character really nicely. He had actually a really sensitive kind of comic sensibility about him. Yes. I liked it. And I must say, I actually liked the whole look of the film, you know, the way that it told a story with maps mm. opening up into scenes. Uh, I like the colour palette. It's very kind of bright and colourful and energising and engaging. I think some people have criticised the, the CGI. I loved it. I didn't mm. see any particular problems with it. No, uh, I mean, there are some things you can really tell the CGI. Some camera moves that are very smooth, and like when they go from the image of the map, as it transitions into, quote-unquote, real life, and you have this CG, you know, Amazon laid out before you. You can tell it's CGI, but it's very beautiful. Lovely. Yes, I mean, around the tiger also you could often see yeah, yeah. the CGI, but who cares? I mean, people didn't mind when it was a puppet, right? So, yeah, why would they, you know? Uh, so... I liked all of that. I do think that um, it's not that I lost interest in the film, but I was going in and out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it wasn't kind of fully engaging me. Um, and I think, you know, I have an ongoing thesis about American cinema and its brutishness and, mm-hmm. you know, and so on. And I think there's something, you know, and I like The Rock very much, right? But actually, there is just something about the way he is that kind of speaks that America to me, right? You know, that this ideal kind of body, really, you know, is this really engaging, charismatic person, mm. yeah, which is the rock. But he's encased in this body that, you know, you need drugs for, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that you need kind of, what do they inject? Those Steroids or whatever. Yeah, it's a steroid body, and it's big and ugly. And also, you often see, like, bad skin along with it. Yeah, we were talking about John Cena, mm. And who Vin else? Diesel. And Vin Diesel and so on the other day. This shows off the body less. I mean, I think he's, he's clothed all the time. It's, it's a yeah. kid's film. It's not it, doing that stuff. It's not even really showing off his arms, which you could do as someone who's got clothes on. It is. But he's just always very, very big. That's how he's built. Yeah. Um, far too big. And actually, I said to you right at the end, when uh, they get to London and she finally gets him into a car and they're going to go around London and said like, American cars are far too big for British roads and he's too big for a British car he looks very very silly in but it. again to be that big is the result of something that seems almost like an unnatural yeah like yeah, you yeah. know steroids and all. So, so even though he's so attractive there's something unappealing that that is the contemporary hero of American cinema if you know what I mean yeah I know but what you mean it's like that you know artif- mechanised it's 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 the transformation of a human being into something else. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so so I don't know that that was just a random thought. Really, it had nothing mm. you know to do with anything except you know kind of trying to connect what we've seen because you know having seen Fast and Furious and then the Suicide Squad, you know the protagonists are all like I was talking about the other day about 
John Cena's arms being so ugly because they're all with these huge veins that twirl everywhere that actually instead of you know because I think there's something about attractiveness also invoking health mm. yeah that, you know whereas this like it's just it seems unhealthy to me I find it unattractive yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so there's something about that ideal that is nonetheless poisoned you know with drugs and yeah is that something you felt very strongly here no, 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 not at all. No, like I said, it's just... You know, it's just That's something. more of a general thought about what this body type is. Yeah, and just trying to connect it to other films that we've seen recently. No, yeah, sure. you know, uh, uh, The Rock is very, very appealing indeed, and I love the interplay between him and Emily Blunt. You know, I think they're surprisingly uh, good together. Well, I think his development as an actor has been amazing, because I remember when he started acting, having been a wrestler, and he thought, this is ridiculous, you know... Mm. Who does like maybe Hulk Hogan had had some movie roles, but he'd never become an actor really. Uh, maybe Vinnie Jones, football, had become an actor around that time, um, but he just seemed really silly. And he was in the Scorpion King first, I think, which was the Mummy sequel, which he was terrible in. And and he thought no. And then over the years, he's he's really come on leaps and bounds to the point where here, he's got this. He narrates this quite tragic backstory of his of his own mm. because it was revealed that he's got more to him than he says. And I suppose we're deep into spoiler territory by this point. He is one of these Spanish conquistadors from 400 years ago who's been cursed. He can't move away from the Amazon or he'll be taken back by the jungle. Mm. And that's why he does this jungle cruise because he's given up looking for the thing that will get him out of it, that will break the curse, um, the Tears of the Moon. And he narrates all this as you see everything that happened 400 years ago. and You see how he turned on his conquistadors when he realised the kind of depth of evil of what they were getting into and they torched this village. And, I th and The Rock is holding all of this together through his narration, and you, you occasionally cut back to him as well in the present day, telling the story to Emily Blunt. And I thought it's wonderful and really tragic and really dramatic. And the music also was kind of mm. perfect when over the visuals of the burning village. Um, and I thought, wow, like I, couldn't, I wouldn't have seen this coming 15 years ago, 20 years ago when he began acting. And, okay, it's 20 years of learning to act, but you know what I mean? I just... it's. It, He's extremely appealing. He's very good. He can he can handle all these tonal shifts very nicely. That he's he's a central comic character in the film. He's got lots of jokes and he plays the character very nicely. The chemistry works, as you say. I really liked it. Although I did think I would have liked to have seen him play his younger self in the flashbacks. I don't know why he didn't. I mean, I know it would have looked a bit silly amongst the other conquistadors um, if he'd had you know, but with a fake beard, fake mustache, the, the outfit, like I. Well, you, I don't know why you, you he can't didn't. have that kind of body in I know. the 15th century. But I that's mean, the thing, like, they can cast him as it now, now that he can just dress in, well, not modern dress, but more up-to-date dress, contemporaneous dress for 1916, I guess. But it wouldn't work in that conquistador you know, armour. But I thought, he's, a, he's an adult man as a conquistador, and now he's an adult man at the, the same age, 400 years on. I wish it could have been the same person. I don't know why it wasn't the same actor, really. I know that it body. Silly. I know it would look silly, but yeah. go with it. You know, it's got a sense of humour. The film. Yeah, well, not that much. Mm. Um, but then that reveals that, as you say, it reveals the kind of the limit of, of, I suppose, what someone with that body can play convincingly. Um, I think also what I didn't like about the film, and again, it's an American thing, is that the scale of what they consider exciting or thrilling has just mushroomed into such a ridiculous thing that 
you know, filmmakers have forgotten to make just something like being on a ledge exciting or dangerous or, you know, uh, grasping a rope you know, or something. They've got to destroy like a whole pier, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, things have to blow up and yeah, be destroyed. And so I do think that that is... Yeah, I think that's... You've got a point. Um, I mean, I do it's think the it's wrong still... example because they actually... Well, there are ledges and there are ropes, right? But those things always then develop into something more destructive. Yeah. I think you're right. Like, Or they have something more destructive in them. But I do think, yeah, like this film does have actually those more simple thrills of the rope swinging. The, yeah. In fact, I mean, The Rock's entrance, as he swings on the rope round thing, is like a proper Errol Flynn entrance. Yes, and yeah. you see, or... or... All of the opening sequence, like, which I did think was really fabulous with Emily Blunt, mm. right? Because you know exactly where you were, you know what she had to do. Then like, you were surprised how she escaped and she was kind of clever and beautiful and smart, you know, and yeah, moving and so on. You know, I mean, that was to me kind of thrilling to see that. And, mm. and particularly to see a woman, you know, doing that, right? Because also it wasn't, you know, so some of the failures of female action heroes have been that, you know, G.I. Jane, it really is just like, G.I. Joe, but with a woman playing the boy, yeah? Yeah. You know, so this actually kind of reconfigured the action so that you can see how a woman yeah, would and could yeah, do it. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so she had physical force and knowledge, right? But it didn't seem like, you know, she wasn't packing muscle. like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, so I loved all of that, and I was sorry that the film didn't try and thrill you in the same way. Yeah, that you needed submarines and torpedoes and blowing up piers and you know so there was something about the fantastical that i liked so all the supernatural stuff and you know the indiana jones stuff where if you pull that lever a whole city comes up mm. all of that i loved mm -hmm. right but um it still had some thuggish elements and i just kind of resented the sale do you know what i mean yeah I want to think about um, Emily Blunt's character as well and the, the gender stuff that you mentioned. Uh, so she's always wearing trousers and this is mentioned more than a few times and The Rock's character in particular keeps on talking about having these pants on. And it, the film starts off with the reason that she's skulking around and lock picking locks and you know going around this, this uh, royal society is because she's not allowed to present even though it's all her work that her brother's presenting for her. Mm. Um, she's not allowed to do any of that. Actually it's a proposal to go to the Amazon um, but she's not allowed to present it. And I thought you know so a lot of it I thought oh this could be more subtle you know but then I thought well, this film's for kids right yeah. and being that clear about the, the politics of it and what they're saying you know she 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 always talks back when someone refers to her having trousers on she talks back she makes mention of it so on I thought actually there's really nothing wrong with that and I quite like it and this is actually a film because that got me thinking about how this is for kids it's a mm. kids film and this made me think actually this is a film I would have really loved as a kid as I say it's got things like Jumanji and Indiana sure. Jones had that I really really enjoyed as a kid I think it judges the violence just right apart from when uh, Jesse Plemons early on kills a few guys in the Royal Society. He stabs one, and you don't see much of it, but I thought, oh, that's a bit heavy, straight up. And mm. Most of the violence I thought was judged very nicely. It's got the right kind of gore in that it's more creepy than gory. Like it's got, In fact, it's got a bit like The Mummy, again, which is a film that I loved as a kid, the uh, Brendan Fraser Mummy. It's got that bit in it where the scarab goes into Amadjalidi's skin. It's crawling around him. You can see it under his skin. Yes. And it goes into his brain. And it's super creepy. But it was fantastic. I loved that as a kid. And this has got a lot of that with one of the yeah. conquistadors has snakes crawling under his skin and out of it. Fantastic. Yes, yeah. love that sort of thing. That kind of stuff, I think, is 
wonderful. The the Rock is like that has a really compelling story actually, which I didn't expect. Um, Emily Blunt is just a magnificent presence. She is all the time. I, I don't know how she does it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> she's genius in a way because she's so warm and smart and like funny without trying to get a joke. I mean, yeah, and uh, you know you can see it's a performance. Like, yeah, the way she cocks her eye and certain, yeah, but feels completely natural throughout. I mean, you know, yeah. it's difficult to dislike anything about her really. Yeah, and with regards to uh, we've already mentioned quite a bit of kind of cultural reconfiguring of the kind of history of the ride and the history of what Disney has shown before and, and the way that it um, portrays different cultures and things. It splits up the the explorers, if you like, into those with good and bad motivations. So, um, you know, the bad guys are the almost Nazis, the, the, the Germans, who are there for their own ends, to take the petal for themselves. Mm, for power. For power. And the, um, and the Emily Blunt side are there to take it for good, to improve the world, to heal people and so on. But ultimately, they're both still there to take something that doesn't belong to them. And also, I mean, let's be frank, you know, once they capture that pedal, there's no more talk of, you know, science. Yeah, it's not, you don't see the result of, you know, this pedal has now resulted in some medication that's erased polio or something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that is dropped. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because they, they left, they, they're left with one petal and she uses that to save the rock who's been transformed back into the bit of the jungle because the curse has taken him. And she, so she uses it for love rather than for the good of medicine. But then another petal grows. Yeah. So you get it and... Presumably that's could. going to be used for medicine. Right, exactly. But then Jack Whitehall gives... Uh, the speech to the society again, mm. and it's all about him having gone up the Amazon, and there's nothing about, you know, well, it's all about it's all about the 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 society not being deserving of their journey and their story and their discovery, mm. you know. Yes, and the women cheering on, all the feminists cheering on them. Yeah, exactly. Them. In the gallery, all the women are happy, and all the men down below are appalled. Oh, yeah, um, and you think, oh, okay, I get it, but I mean, I think they could have hammered home, you know, the thing that it's about you know, science, and that science will be built on equality, yeah, and women's contributions to science, and, mm. you know, I mean, that wouldn't have taken anything to kind of gather together, and the film doesn't even bother, like, it loses that, you know, and, and yet that's the raison d'etre of the film, in a way, like, I mean, aside from selling you a ride in Disneyland, you know, you'd think that it initially begins with questions of knowledge and science and equality, Yeah. right? And actually, there are quite strong strands in the film, yeah? Jack Whitehall's gayness and so on is part of that. Yeah, he's also excluded from society the way his sister is, but for different reasons. So, you know, the film could have worked a bit harder to kind of making all of that more coherent. And uh, um, Yeah, and it still does, as I say, it, it still ends up in this imperial place of, well, you were there with the right intentions and the good guys won, but the good guys are still people who've taken something that doesn't belong to them. And the film begins in this royal society with, uh, you know, all these things on the wall, like swords, knives, cultural artefacts from other places. Like they're, they're dotted around the place. That's what is basically the British Museum, this place. Mm. You know, it's like it. Um, and, you know, so it's, it, it's draped in all of this, all, all, all this uh, decoration of, British imperialism, having gone to places, taken stuff, and not giving it back. I mean, and we end up with one more thing that they've taken. The film is so imperialist. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a film that is entirely set in the Amazon, without a single Brazilian in it. Brazilian actor. Well, well, not just. Well, I mean, there are there, there are minor characters. There are plenty of minor characters who are natives, but I, 
Well, there are minor mean, there are minor characters who are natives. But yeah, you're right. All the main characters are not. There's not a single it. Brazilian in it. I mean, and you yeah. would think maybe they. I mean, no reason not to make the Paul Giamatti character a Brazilian or yeah, yeah. right. Like I mean, it's set in Brazil. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So and and you know, of course you have like. I'm not saying that the indigenous native people of Brazil are not Brazilians, but what I'm saying is that in this film they all speak English. <laughs> well, that, that's not true actually. But I, I, I was because I was looking out for it because I was reading before I saw the film that I think Disney did work very hard to research a local kind of tribal language and incorporate it. So when um, the Rock is speaking to Trader Sam, they're speaking in that language. I think. Um, well, they might be doing it. that, but there isn't a single person who speaks Portuguese in this film. You know, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and the the Spanish conquistadors do speak Spanish. So like there is some negotiation towards kind of cultural openness or inclusivity. But you're right. Like it's, it is wrong for a film set in Brazil to have no Portuguese spoken. I mean, you know, the film is set in. I mean, there are so many questions about it. Well, first of all, why start in Britain, right? Like I do think that in itself is a kind of a colonial mentality, right? It's the assumption. You know that kind of Britain knew better or had better resources or whatever, you know, than New York in 1916, which I don't think so. Right? You know, for an American film to begin, it's almost like a tradition of cinema rather than, you know, anything kind of based in the world. I, I just, you know, why does an American film not start with a scientific society or expedition in America? Mm. The same issues apply. Right, you know the same questions of feminism, of exclusion. Yeah, they could just as easily be involved in the war effort. That's it, one of the rationales given is we can help the exactly, war. Exactly right. So it just feels like a whole bunch of cliches put together, right? Mm. You know the British Phineas Fogg type of situation, character attitudes, right? I mean, you know Phineas Fogg is always looking at his watch and punctuality, and everything must be done just so. And the Jack Whitehall character has an outfit for every <laughs> second of the day. There's a connection amongst all of those things. You know, then you have to ask, why is the villain German? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you could have just made him a greedy American or yeah. something. Yeah? So that's drawing on other types of cliches. Why are the evil, blah, blah, Spanish conquistadors in Brazil? I mean, unless the film, you know, sets that origin story in that very particular time, where Spain and Portugal were one, you know, kind of shared the same king, then what the hell are Spanish conquistadors mm. doing, you know, <laughs> yeah. in Brazil, right? It would have been Portuguese, yeah. And the film says that their imperialism was bad and they got punished for it. Yes. Got, but our imperialism is good because we're trying to put it right. Because, yeah. Because leave it alone. We don't have the Inquisition. Uh, you know, but anyway, so all of those things are such a muddle, and really, it is just, I, I suppose, a way of mobilizing quick signifiers in a ride. Mm. Yeah, um, but I think a narrative requires more. Themes have to cohere, and kind of, and tropes and messages, and mm. you know, what's being communicated has to make more sense than it does at present in this film. I mean, if you think, what are the themes of this film? It, you know, for me, the the problem became a kind of almost like a structural problem. How do you turn Emily Blunt and the rock character into a couple, mm. you know, 
since you know you've discovered he's a four hundred year old conquistador, right? Who who must die if they do this? So they have to figure out a way out of that hole in order to make this romantic comedy work, mm. right? You know, but but you know, I think it's just working yourself out of that plot hole rather than actually adding anything to what the film may be about. Maybe I liked it though. <laughs> you know, so I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it on the level of like a of like a Jumanji or or a The Mummy, where it's it's popcorn fodder and the action's mostly good. The thing about the action, actually, I did I liked a lot of it. Um, I did have a problem with I just wish some shots had been a little clearer, like when she's kind of releasing the lever underwater. Mm. At no point is it confusing what she's doing. We know that she's got to do mm. something, do something with this lever. We're not sure exactly what it will do, but that's her job. Um, but there are just a shot or two where. You know, it could be clearer as to at what stage of the process she is. You know, has she released it now? Has she not? There's a, there's a, sh- a shot that's too close, a cut that's too quick. Things like that. that kind of happens throughout the action scenes that things are just a little too close or yeah, a little too quick. Uh, the action, I mean, it's proficient, but it's not great. No, absolutely. You know? And I think actually the scene that you mentioned is an example of what's wrong with the film. You know, because in some ways it's okay. Like you say, you're never lost in it and you know what she's doing. Mm. But actually there are suggestions that the film was trying for other things quite unsuccessfully. So, you know, this is the moment where they kiss. I mean, it's an exchange of breath, right? So that she can breathe because she's trapped. Yeah, but it's also a kiss. It's a revelation. It's an understanding that he's coming back to get her and to help her through this. Yeah, and actually the way that it's filmed with her hair flowing, it's meant to be that kind of... Mm. A moment of erotic, yeah, and it doesn't quite convey it strongly enough. No, I agree with that, and um, or it turns it into a joke really because when he initially goes to kiss her, she pushes him away, and yes. it's a joke, and then she realizes that it's it's about keeping her alive, and then the second time he comes down to kiss her, having collected some more breath for himself, um, she pulls him so rapidly, so quickly that he knocks his head on the thing. So it turns it all into a joke rather than a I know romantic but, thing. But it could have done both. Yeah, you know. and then also as it goes on, so so he gives her breath twice, and as he goes up to collect more, he's attacked by piranhas, and so he can't go down to help her out. And it could have made that more thrilling, more dramatic, more tense. I don't think it did that. Yeah, um, you know, you really felt like the film isn't doing everything it can to to draw out the tension of a situation. Yeah, um, I had a problem with this. Goes back to uh, the wokeness, um, which I generally think is welcome, but sometimes it feels a bit tokenistic or overdone where um she goes around freeing all the animals in the cages because there is this streak in her of, of she loves animals and she mm. thinks it's wrong to keep all these animals in cages to have them for food and so on um, but it's not strong enough like she doesn't come across as um you know an early vegetarian no but she sees all these animals in cages in this port in in brazil and she keeps on talking about oh well, that's wrong they shouldn't do that and then in a in an action scene she runs through this port freeing all these animals, these monkeys, these birds, they, keep, they escape and everything. And I was thinking, like, this is like the kind of person who thinks that you shouldn't give your kid formula, you should breastfeed them. So they come around your house and throw all your formula away. He's like, hold on, I paid for that's my, you have no right. <laughs> like, just because you have these beliefs doesn't mean, you know, this is our way of life here. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I got really pissed off with her then. Yeah. She has no right. I mean, I, I agree with her. I think the monkeys shouldn't be in cages, but I, yeah, they might be being treated really well. We don't know. Anyway, I think the real charm of uh, Emily Blunt and The Rock and the inventiveness of the design and, the, and some of the action and so on 
that it kind of gets lost in this kind of convoluted thing that really to me is not clear enough you know and that could have been rendered more exciting um so for example you know the thing about the arrow the arrowhead that's really a heart that also has something embedded in it that is the key to the whole thing that's kind of like a powerful metaphor mm -hmm. you know you know i think um i don't see it played out anywhere else right mm. um the idea that uh the flower only comes out with the moon you know if if you're told that earlier i missed it there was, there was lots of detail like that that I think is very easy to miss because I definitely didn't catch all of it. Yeah. So so then when you're you know when you're yeah you don't you have no sense of how much time they have left mm. right. I mean you just see the moon whizzing past this right. But like it would have been good to get a sense of time or proportion or what yeah. The film can be a lot clearer about um, all of that. It, it it can probably it can definitely make the details less cluttered and it can definitely do more to actually spell them out to you. Yeah. Um, I don't think it does enough. It's, it's very easy to miss bits of dialogue that would really help and it doesn't do enough. As you say, think about the moon. There's definitely something about having to get this done by midnight or something like that. Yeah. But it doesn't, you know, you would get these, if you got these repeated shots of the moon getting closer and closer to the eclipse or whatever it was, you know, that's kind of thing you can imagine the film doing really well, but it doesn't. Also, you know, I would have liked like in a wild fleet of fancy, I would have liked to have seen um, the um, Jack Whitehall, uh, Whitehall character uh, fall in love, you know, with a native and end up living in a tree yeah, instead yeah. of like suffrages, <laughs> right? Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it might have been loopy, but that might have been fun. It also would have blunted some of the imperialism of the film or, you know, could have taken it in a slightly different direction, would have tied up some ends better, right? It could have been the first of the Mohicans. Yes, but of course you can't do that if you're going to be selling tickets to a ride in Disneyland. <laughs> I mean, it had intimations towards that when he gets the tattoo paint on him, and then exactly, and then well, it's not clear whether it's a joke that The Rock makes where it's not going to come off for decades, but it's on for the rest of the film. Mm. And you think, oh, could this be his? You know, because the thing about him is, is my society won't accept me. Maybe I'll find one that has. But no, he still likes going to Selfridges, having lunch at whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So I think there were things that were just not properly worked out, really. Um, I liked overall. I just want to say, I'd liked it overall. I, I had a really good time and I wasn't expecting to. And I think it was much more inventive than I imagined it would be. It was had much better action, much better acting, uh, much better comedy, much more visual beauty well, than I imagined. All of that was better than I thought it would be. I mean, I went in this with very low expectations, so that helps. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think I think it's a film kids will really like. Well, they may, but also, you know, it's not it's not a good film. Uh, so, I I mean, to be I didn't know that the film was based on a bride in Disneyland. Uh, so you know, whilst watching it, I actually didn't care. It wasn't something that was on my mind at all. What was on my mind is that it wasn't as good as it could be. Yeah, that some of the things felt tokenistic uh, and that there was still a huge problem with you know the colonial the, yeah the post-colonial elements of the film and its imagery yeah but I had a lot of fun and I think people will and you know yeah 
Sometimes it doesn't do to overthink things. Yes, people without a conscience, it's very easy to just enjoy the fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, on that note, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. I remembered it all. Yes, I'm going to, to start writing that down because there's so much of it to remember. <laughs>